how to escape. Do you ever feel like you, you need to escape, like the world's gone mad, like the political environment that we find ourselves in is so chaotic and, and crazy that we would like to escape? You know, there's so much pressure in life, so many responsibilities, homework, schoolwork, reporting to your father. I'm looking at my daughter. So, so we have all these things falling in on us, right? Sometimes we just want to get away. We want to break free from that. We want to escape the pressures of life. Can you imagine, you know, the way you feel living here in the United States? Can you imagine if you had the same political and religious views, um, but you were born in uh, Venezuela or North Korea or, or China? Can you imagine having faith in Jesus Christ and gathering this morning knowing that at any moment, we could be machine gunned down or ran over with tanks or thrown into a jail cell from which we would never get out. You, you know, when we, when we worship God, you know, if, if we're not filled with gratitude for everything that's opening before us, we're denying that it is God who gives us everything that comes into our life. And so it is with a thankful heart that we embrace life. I like to say embrace the suck. It's there. There's something you can learn from it. God has a, a purpose and a plan for it in our lives. And so when we go through things, you know, we can, we can embrace it. But life is hard and the world's crazy. But you know what Jesus said? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He was, he was arrested and he was getting ready to be executed. And the guy looks at him and says, hey, man, I, I can get you out of this. I can get you off. You, you, uh, listen, just talk to me. What, what am I working with here? I can help you out. I know a guy. And Jesus says, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my servants, they'd, they'd come and they'd handle this. But as it is of now, I'm, I'm not interested. That's crazy, right? And then he goes on and he sets this ultimate example of love. There is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And, you know, maybe you've seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. And, and we, can, we can look at what Jesus did. And, and, and I love the story about the, the, the prostitute that comes and, and she washes his feet with her tears and she dries his feet with her hair. And she anoints his feet with, with, with oil, and she's just overwhelmed by the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he forgives our sins, and that he takes away our shame, and that he opens up a door so that we can partake in God's divine nature. And that's, that's a real thing. And so when we, when we put our faith in Christ and we call out, Jesus saves me, it's, he says that he, he gives us a, a down posit of the Spirit. He, we're baptized into one Spirit. And so we have this initiation into the body of Christ whereby we, we've, we've found something that's so amazing. One of my favorite verses is that verse that, that says uh, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, and he doesn't actually tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. He tells us what the person is like who finds the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who, who has found a treasure. 
And this treasure is so mind-blowing. It's so otherworldly. It's so penetrating and amazing. It is, it is the fountain of, of life. It's eternal life. It's the presence of God that convicts us of sin and sets us free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to taste that, this man, he goes and he sells everything that he owns. We're willing to get rid of everything that we are, all that we have, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets this example, this pinnacle of all achievement, the highest goal and the greatest aspiration that every heart should follow, this example of the greatest love ever known. And you know, and he really just leaves us with one commandment. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus was perfect and we're not, so as we follow Christ, we don't always get it right. Sometimes it looks bad, sometimes it is bad. Sometimes we're in the middle of a position where we figure out that there's something in me that's causing my life to go the way that it's going. And that's what I love about this verse. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken by angels is binding in every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And what we really have is, is a, an anchor. We have a mooring. We have a sure foundation. We have something that keeps us from blowing and drifting with every wind of doctrine. But we must pay careful attention or we'll drift. I can give you personal testimony of drifting. Do, have we all experienced drifting? I would imagine. We'll, we'll, we'll come back around to that. But I, I want to I paint a picture first of where we're at in time and space. John Adams, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, rightly said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. In 1642, Rules and Precepts of Harvard University, founded by the Reverend John Harvard, he says, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That, now, these are pretty profound statements that I would say Harvard University has drifted away from. And so as we look at the United States between 1920 and 1942, a lot of stuff happened. If you're, you're a history buff, you know we had the Roaring Twenties, the excesses, the Thirties, the Great Depression, the Prohibition, the dumping out of alcohol, you know, and then we get into the 1930s and we've got World War II and uh, we go through all of these things. We, we can look and there's wars and there's rumors of wars and kingdoms rise and fall. And this is why history is so important, because if you can look at the wide, wide, wide breadth of history, if you can get the big picture, you can see that we're in the middle of a spiritual war. 
Now, for a long time, there's been this thing called the American dream, and everybody thought that the American dream is having the five-bedroom house with the walkout basement, three cars, a boat, and a couple other toys to play with, right? It was about leisure. It was about enjoying family. It's about growing, watching our kids grow up. But what if, what if that's not the plan? What if you get all those things and you're still empty? What, what if, you know, you, you're, you're 16, you're young, you get out of high school, and what do you do? You chase pleasures here, we chase their pleasures there. Did they break on through to the other side? I don't think so. I think they found themselves miserable and empty and in need of something. They were lacking something. In 1967, the nation, as a nation, we decided that Schools would no longer teach the Bible, and they made it illegal. You saw that coming, didn't you? Would have been a prophetic statement. Try not to touch it. Let me sit it down here. We'll see how good my eyes are. I need, I need, I need room to... You, you know, people, they just can't stand still, and I know it makes people dizzy, but I try to stop, and then you know what happens? Can't think of anything. Mind just goes completely blank. So, so as we, we look at history coming through, you know, there was this time in the early, you know, colonial period where uh, the United States was described by this guy named Alex Tocqueville that, that the, what made America great was that was because America was good. Because in the churches at that time, he said that the pulpits were ablaze with a fire, that there was something going on in there. And that isn't that you came in and the church was super nice and they had a potluck dinner every Sunday. It was that the spirit and the presence of the living God was there and it kept people where they needed to be because we can't do the things that God asks us to of our own intellect and energy. We need the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed that we would be one with God as he was one with God and that we would be one with one another. And if you think about the church at Grand Island, because God doesn't look down and say, this church and that church and this church, he has one church, it's his people. It's his people who he's given gifts to and he's called us to come together. And so if you're here and you believe in our mission for all to know Jesus Christ, experience his power and become his image in the world, then this is our mission. And so when we get up and we go to work on Monday, when we come back from work on Friday, when we're sitting around the dinner table, is our family unified around one mission and one purpose in life? But it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to, to get enslaved and trapped in the rat race because we, we habitually do this thing every day and it's like driving, right? At first it gave all of our focus and all of our attention. It's 10 and 2, I'm checking my mirrors, I'm checking my mirrors, I'm 10 and 2, I'm checking my mirrors, you know, and I'm, put, I'm using my blinker. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm one of those people that sometimes forgets I have a blinker. But, um, you know, and after a while of driving, it becomes muscle memory, and now you're putting on your makeup, you're eating breakfast, you're doing a thousand other things, but you're not thinking about driving. And we can do the same thing with church and with Jesus and with, with our life. You know, the Bible says that, that, that Jesus is the narrow way and that we are, we're, we're traveling, we're going somewhere. And so if we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will enter through the narrow gate. But if we get caught up on other things, you know, it's like the parable of the sower and the seed. 
Some seeds fall among the weeds, and maybe you've gone through that stage in your life where you were distracted, where, yeah, you believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he is, but man, have you seen this over here? This is life. This is what I'm passionate about. This is where I find my joy. But you know what happens? Sin is pleasurable for a season, but it leads to death. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, he has allowed his people to, to taste death. To taste the separation of, of relationships with people that we love. He, he allows us to taste death in relationship with people that we hate. And the devil wants to get into a church and bring hate. He wants to kill and destroy. And the way he does that is through division. He'll divide us. He'll plant seeds in your heart of corruption. He'll get you looking at your neighbor and what your neighbor has and how your neighbor lives. And instead of looking at your own life and praying for the mercy and the grace of God to fall on you so you can be an instrument in God's hand, you're looking at your neighbor and saying, well, you know, if they were really a Christian, Nineteen seventy-three, Roe versus Wade passed, and abortion on demand became legal. And you can see, as a nation, we're, we're drifting. Now, you know, it's funny because anytime I go around a turn a little fast and in the minivan, I have two boys in their back seat going, "Drift, drift." I want to. I really want to. But let me, let me tell you, this this car, this guy, that's Pike's Peak in Colorado, and uh, that guy is driving a twin-turbocharged, 1,400-horsepower, all-wheel-drive precision machine. He's not drifting on accident. He's completely intentional about that, and he's practiced it a lot. When the Bible says, don't forget what you heard so you don't drift, what they're talking about is more like this. Has anybody drifted in a car? Com Jesus, take the wheel. Right? Because the, the wheels are off the ground. Turning the wheels is not going to help at this point. At this point, it's all Hail Mary full of great. You know, you've got a few seconds to get that thing out, right? When, when I was in my early teens, I, I've got a scar somewhere across my forehead that runs down to my eye. Um, and that came from being in a, in a little uh, Nissan Maxima. Um, I looked out the passenger side window, and I'm going down the highway 80 miles an hour. I was asleep. And that's what I woke up to. Jeff was asleep too. And, uh, I, you know, it's like when you're in a ride like that, man, it is Jesus take the wheel. And, and you know, no control over where you're going. You're at the mercy and the fate of inanimate objects that might or might not be in the way. You're at the mercy of a tire catching in the ditch and sending you in, into a barrel roll and ejecting you from the car. You're at the mercy of physics. And, and so many of us have found ourselves in situations like that where we should by all rights be dead and we walk away. If we're not careful, we'll drift and drifting's not fun when you hit things. In 1980... Uh, in 1982, Newsweek magazine, in an article entitled How the Bible Made America, said this, historians are discovering that the Bible, perhaps even more than the Constitution, is our founding document. 
You know, as we look at the wars and the rumors of wars and everything that's been going on, what it all comes down to is, is, is a war of, of, of philosophies, right? It's, it's Marxism, it's socialism, it's communism. It, it, the, the, the systems and the ideas that come from the minds of people that reject God. And that is a godless reality. And if we're not careful, we will let, allow the world to, to not have a place where we can come in and worship God freely, where religion, Christian religion, true religion, is really pushed out and fought against because it's real. The road systems that we drive on got their first painted line in 1911. Can you imagine how many lives that probably saved putting a line down a road? I mean, it's nighttime, it's raining, you know, 1950s, the windshield wipers probably weren't great either. And it took them a while, really, if you think about it. 1950s, the yellow line was invented. Man, now we're moving along with safety features to keep us from drifting off the road or into oncoming traffic. In 1956, they figured out the dotted line for passing lanes, which also, I'm sure, saved a lot of lives. And although it was invented in the 1900s, the early 1900s, the rumble strip didn't come into use until 1994. Man, I was in my prime back then. I remember these rumble strips getting put on every highway, everywhere. And now it seems like everywhere you go, even the back roads have rumble strips. And so these things are to keep you from drifting and so now you know you, you you're driving down the road and maybe you're thinking about something and you you hit that strip right and not only do you have that warning but then your wife's going Travis are you awake you need me to drive I, I got it with the I'm good I'm good and in some ways I think you know as a nation we've had a, a few incidences where we've hit the, the rumble strip these last few years. And I feel like some Christians have, have woken up a little bit. Maybe the church has woken up a little bit. A ton of people pulled their kids out of public schools because of what's being taught, because there is a drift. And it's not just a drift because somebody was driving in the snow and was going a little fast. It's because it's intentional. It's an intentional drift. That the educational system has been gearing this up and working toward this since the beginning. They want a democratic, socialist society. They want to change the way things work. They want government to run everything. But there's an idea that was birthed in the heart of men that, that comes from the Bible, and that is the idea of individual rights. That I am created in the image of God, and because I am created in God's image, I have the right to life, the pursuit of happiness, and to be treated equal in a court of law. And America created this system of government which has been at war with the world since its inception because the devil hates light. And so he's been fighting with the church so that he can put out the light. And if we look at history... I would say that he's winning, that he is figuring out a way to be divisive in churches and to divide people and to ruin what God's called us to do.
I found out early on that if I would hold on to the Word of God, I mean really hold on to it, take it and write it down on the back of my hand and you know, the, the first thing that I God ever convicted me about was worry. I was a worrier. I remember my car broke down. And I'm sitting, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to get to work. They're going to fire me. My electricity is going to get cut off. I'm not going to have, you know what I mean? I've, got, I've gone through this whole scenario in my head and God would convict me and I'd pray and I'd give it to him. And You know, that's a process. But that's a process of walking with God, of having a relationship in which you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit because it's so easy for us to, to become a church that comes and we worship God and we want everybody to think that we're doing good and that we're making it and that everything's cohesive and that our family life is great because we're worshipers of Jesus. But the problem is we're trying to do everything in our own power. You've got to hold on to that word or you'll drift now, I usually see the drifting in my, in my own personal life, and it shows up in my family. It shows up in the tension between that, that, those intimate relationships, right? This is where the thing nips at our heels, the devil, the husband and wife. Because that, that is so symbolic. That is so symbolic. And what does the Word tell us to do with the husband and wife? That we are to be one flesh, that we are a representation of the church in Christ, and that this is the grand experience of love and union that God is craving for us to be one with us, that husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives the way that, that Jesus gave his life for the church. There's a lot of things for us to do there, and this is one of the things that the Bible says, if there's tension in that relationship, it's going to hinder our prayer. And so as a church, we want power, we want the presence of God, we want the moving of the Holy Spirit. But if we're a bunch of families that have all this junk going on, do we think that God can shine through us in the way that He's trying to? Be careful that you don't drift. We sin when we love anything more than we love God. Are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to give up your reputation? Are you willing to let go of being right? Are you willing to go to God in your closet where no one sees you and say, Jesus, whatever you ask, that's what I'll do. I'm standing here before you because I started following Jesus in 1994. And this is where I've ended up. I've been through a few states and a couple countries to get here. And it's an amazing thing to give your life to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to, to answer that call, to take up your cross and follow Him, to partake in God's divine nature, to, to, to not just love people because you're supposed to, because it's the rule, but to love people because you, you feel the love of God and you're going to hold on to that love. To find a, a brother or a sister in the darkness and to do what the Bible says, to, to love them, to be honest with them, to be truthful with them, to, 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 to build that relationship with God in the center of it, to glorify God and for some purpose other than meeting their own needs. This is God's church. And it's a work that God does. You know, when we think that the world needs revival, 
Would, would we agree with that, that the world needs revival? How does the world get revival? It's got to start in the church. Like if the, 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 the brightness of the church determines the temperature of the nation. You know, that was Alex Tocqueville. He said when he came to America that it was the pulpits were on fire. What do we want? Are you here today because you're following Jesus? Or are you here today because it's Sunday? What are we come expecting? What are we expecting when we come to church? Are we expecting to visit with the, the presence and the power of God? Are we expecting to get pumped up and, and filled with the Spirit, to be encouraged, to be built up, so that when we leave this place, our faith is, man, like David? You know, God built David's faith up to where he was willing to face a giant. But David drifted too, didn't he? He took his eyes off of Jesus. God gives himself to us, but we must become his. We must surrender to his calling and will and become his image in the world, or else we just become commonplace and lukewarm. There's so many warnings in the Bible about drifting. Heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There's warnings about not when we don't glorify God as God that we're given over to a, a darkened heart. There's so many warnings, so many warnings that we find in, in the Bible. So many warnings about what the church looks like, what the church should look like. And so for True North, we have a vision. We have a mission. And our mission is for all to know Jesus Christ, experience His power, and be His image in the world. And to do that, to do that, to be those kind of people, we need brothers and sisters that we are going to come and lock hand to hand and get to know each other. And say, hey, let's walk through some life together. It's going to be a rocky ride. But if we come to the place where we accept the fact that God has ordained each day that we go through and that he puts people in our life because he has a plan and he has a mission and if we'll be looking for what God wants us to do instead of what we want to do, I mean, we still got to do our job, but we can do it though we're doing it for God and we can still be on that mission for all to know Jesus Christ because if I meet somebody, I want them to know the treasure that I found in a field because the kingdom of heaven far outweighs anything that we can find here. Because this world is perishing and dying and anybody who's finding their life in it or living for it, they're dying. And the church, the church has to take a great amount of responsibility for the fate of the world. We must learn to speak the truth in love. We must learn how to abide in Christ for the fate of the world depends on it. The church can let the light grow dim. The seven churches that were written to in Revelation, are they, are they still going strong? We get one chance to be the church, to experience the, the work that God's created for us in advance. We get one chance 
to be different than the churches that came before us. We get one chance to be a, a, you know, fathers, to be the spiritual leader of our family. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, about being, about unity and about purpose. And is my family unified in the purpose for all to know Jesus Christ? Are we, do we get together as, as a family around the table and pray for our neighbors? Because we care because we want everybody to know Jesus Christ. See, it's easy to drift. It's easy to get caught up in the 9 to 5. It's easy to quit calling on God to help us. But like I was saying in my drift, when I feel those marital and and familial tensions, it's because I've stopped praying. And what I notice is when I start praying, when I start praying that God will protect my wife, that God will build her up, that God will put a hedge around my family, that God will open their eyes, that God will give them understanding, well, things change and everything starts running smooth like clockwork. And, you know, next thing I know, I get back into my routine and I forget to praise God and to worship God and to really get together with God because it's like if things aren't bad, I don't call on God. But things are bad. I just don't see it. It's time for the church to start calling on God. There's the verse in the Old Testament, it says, and that's when men begin to call on God. We can't do this. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We don't want a house built by the hands of men. We want a house built by the power, the presence, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because this is God's church. And if we're going to be real with God, He'll be real with us. But if we close our eyes and our ears to what we have heard, then we'll truly drift away. Will you stand and pray with me now? Maybe if you want to come to the front, you can. I'd love to pray with someone for the church that God would pour out His blessing on it, that we can stand together as brothers that can honestly say that we love one another and that we want what God wants, that we want what God wants, whatever God wants. God, whatever you want. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, we're just praying that you would pour out your spirit on your church. Lord, we can't do this on our own. Life will overwhelm us. Our lives are out of control. And we need a higher power to restore our sanity. Father, we just give the church up to you, Lord. We put it into your hands. Father, we we just want to see a miracle. We want to see revival in our own hearts. We want to see a hunger and a thirst for you, Lord. We want to see your word just expand and take precedence. Father, we pray that you'd pour out your spirit on your church. Lord, are we drifting? Are we responsible for the drift that we see in the world today? Oh, Father, we pray that you would change things. Lord, we ask that your spirit would just come on our hearts, Lord, that if there's anything in us, if there's any iniquity in this church, if there's sin in the camp, Lord, that you would show us. Father, that you would cleanse us in your blood, Lord. Our hearts would be ignited with passion for your love. Father, pour out your spirit. Do a new work in us, Lord. Lord, keep this car from going over the cliff, Lord. Keep our families from going over the cliff, Lord. Jesus, God, pour out your spirit, Father. We need you. Lord, show us the way. Ah, we need more of you. Your church is crippled without you, Lord. 
Father, that we would call out with one voice day and night. Lord, make us like you. Father, we ask that as we go today that we would be walking in your image, filled with your grace, ready to tell other people about you for your the greatest treasure that man can know. The kingdom's not of this world. Lord, help us to be ready to go. Lord, we pray that when you come, you find us waiting, you find us watching, you find us vigilant. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. Church, let's close with one last chorus together. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect. Because you are perfect. church. Have a great week, great Sunday, and we'll see you next time.